You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Okay. Uh, well, I'm into uh, stats and figures and things like that, and I want to give you a uh, statistic, a figure, if you will, that uh, has been particularly troubling to me recently. Um, I don't know if you've heard this or not, but uh, over the past six months, there's been a dramatic increase, have you heard this, in, in the number of stabbing incidents in my house. Um, the perpetrator is this man. No, don't, don't, don't ooh and no. See, that's what he does. That's how he gets you. He, uh, it's a guise, ladies and gentlemen. This individual has pierced me. Uh, countless times with a foam pirate sword, I have been shot at more times than I care to recount with invisible arrows that goes down a lot. My, his regular rhythm of conversation with me, this is true, looks like this. He'll look at me as we're playing and he just says, Daddy, I kill you. <laughs> Which is weird to hear. And uh, the, the other thing he's doing, I don't know why, but like, when he gets undressed now, he doesn't just get undressed. He, he takes his shirts off by grabbing the middle of them and yanking them open and just says, yeah. <laughs> Which is actually kind of cute. I, I kind of like it. Uh, but, but that's uh, what he's doing. And I, I, for a while, I was very confused. Why is this happening? Is this like early onset puberty that's happening? Am I going to catch him shaving tomorrow morning and be confused? I didn't know. And then it occurred to me. Six months ago, I had the very wise, very fatherly idea to introduce my children to Lord of the Rings, which felt like a great idea at the time. My kids loved it. Like my, my two oldest girls, they were all about it. We had great conversation. It was awesome. But Ben loved it. And when he saw Legolas surfing down the snout of the elephant with a bow in his hand, something changed I, I, he became Legolas, a three-foot-tall Indian Legolas. And, and it occurred to me as I'm watching this transformation over these past six months or so, looking at this little Indian warrior elf, that, that this is actually a tremendous picture of Christianity. I bet you didn't think I was going to say that. But not, not necessarily the, the stabbing your parents part or the ripping your shirt off part, but the, but the truth behind that is actually a deeply, deeply Christian truth. I wonder if you've thought about it like that. Here's why. You and I, just like my son, you can get rid of the picture. He's uh, the criminal. I don't want him up there. Uh, you, you and I, just like my son, are hardwired by our God to imitate. That's what we do. We, we are mimickers. We are imitators. We are copiers. We, we see something we love, and, and our impulse is to emulate it. That's what we do. And you, you've seen this all the time. You go back to the late 90s when Eminem came on the scene, right? Slim Shady. What happened to every white, suburban, 14-year-old boy? He bleached his hair because that's what you do when Slim's on the scene. Right? Or go back a little bit further. You go back to 1992 when Gatorade had the brilliant idea to create that Be Like Mike advertisement. 
Remember? Like, if you want to be like Michael Jordan, what you really need is to drink this sugary substance, right? How much Gatorade was consumed in 1992 because we wanted to be like Mike, right? But this is what we do. We imitate. And it's fascinating. The Bible totally affirms this. It says, yes, this is what we do, but it doesn't just affirm the reality of that as a condition in us. It actually commands imitation for the people of God. Uh, All the way back, you see this all the way back in uh, the days of Moses. You you get into the Torah and uh, the first five books of the Bible. You see this, Leviticus uh, 11.45. You've heard this verse before. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. I'm like this. I do these things. So you do likewise. See me and imitate. You be holy for I'm holy. Deuteronomy 10. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. He's saying, hey, my heart explodes when I think of the sojourner and the wanderer and the foreigner. I want to care for them. And because I'm like that, you look at me and you be like that. You imitate what you see. And as we arrive at the New Testament, we see that same pattern show up over and over again. The writer displays the character of God and then it beckons us to imitate what we see. And a great example of this is the book of Ephesians. I don't know if you've spent uh, much time in Ephesians, but it's, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The first three chapters, a six-chapter book, first three chapters is nothing but painting the picture of the character and nature and attributes and actions of God. There's not a single command in your whole first three chapters of that book except to remember and then he totally switches gears after, after we go through one through three, and then four through six is nothing but commands. You're inundated with commands. He's saying, look back at the character of God and what he's done for you and live in light of that. Imitate what you see. And smack dab in the middle of all that, in the back half of that book, in chapter five, verse one, we get this verse. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. The great command written over the life of every child of God, is this. Do what your dad does. Do what your dad does. And what we're doing this morning is we're asking the question, well, how do we do it? If, if that's the call to imitate God, then what does that look like? How are we to imitate him? In what ways should we do that? The thing is, there's so many ways to answer that, Right? Our God is complex and his character is rich. And there's so many ways that we could apply and talk about that. But as this is our Orphan Care Sunday in the life of our church, I want to frame the scope of our answer narrowly to just look at those aspects of God's character that are going to speak to this issue. I don't know if you've done much thinking about orphan care or adoption, things like that, but I want to give you some statistics to acclimate us to what the situation is right now. UNICEF has given us some numbers. These are, these are very current numbers. This will give you a scope of the situation. Uh, when we think globally, worldwide, the number of orphans that UNICEF says is out there, it's a hard number to estimate, but the number of orphans total worldwide, they're putting it about 140 million. If you shrink that number down and just grab those 
Those orphans who they call double orphan, that is, they are without a mother and a father. They've lost both parents. They're without immediate family in the world. That number is 15.1 million boys and girls. They have no immediate family, nobody to take care of them. They're double orphan. Domestically, you bring it closer to home. So now we're talking about the U.S. and we have a foster care system in in the United States. The children in our foster care system as of uh, 2018, 2019 is is a little less than 430,000 boys and girls in the foster care system. These These are kiddos whose either their parents are in a situation they can't take care of them for a temporary amount of time or an extended amount of time and they're put in this system and they need other families to step in and care for them. That's about 430 thousand children. And, and of that group of people, there's a smaller number that these are kids who there is no going back to mom and dad. This is, they are in the foster system till they age out and they are ready right now to be adopted. And that number is about 111,000 boys and girls in the United States that right now need a mom and dad. Right now. You move it one layer closer, and now we're looking at Dallas DFW area. Right now, there are 1,213 children in DFW that are waiting to be adopted. Do you know that? Like in our, in our context here in, in DFW, 1,213 children. In Ellis County, where we're at, as of August 2018, there are 67 children in foster care. Right here, like right in, in, in our backyard, 67 children that are saying... We, we need a mom and dad. We need somebody to step in and care for us. 67. I don't know how any of those numbers hit you. Some of those numbers are so big, it's like, how do you even get your arms around them, right? And then some of them are like so small that it's like, could we, could we like do that this morning? Like, are there 67 families in here that could say, I, I wasn't in, but I'm in? Like, I, I want to care for them. Like, I feel like there's, it, it helps me get my head around what's possible here. And I want us to feel this this morning. Those aren't just numbers. Those are souls of people who are made in the image of God. And our God cares for them. They matter to him. And he wants his people, us, to care for them too. <laughs> On a personal note, this is an especially uh, precious topic to me. Today, it was this week, two years ago, that me and Kelly were in India bringing home our son, Ben. It was this week, so I'm privileged to get to preach today on this, and I feel like this is an especially important topic to me as I'm considering it today. And so here we are, in light of all that, asking the question, how do we obey Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children? How do we do that? And to do that, we're going to go right to the beginning of Paul's letter in the Ephesians. So if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Get that on, on your lap to look at it. We're going to be in it quite a bit. And at the beginning of this letter, Paul is going to answer for us three questions. What do we imitate? How do we imitate? And why does it matter that we do? What do we imitate? How do we imitate? And, and why does it matter that we do that? What, what do we imitate? What, what is the type of God that we serve? What's he like, right? What does he do? Who who are we to imitate? What is his nature and his preferences and his behaviors? And we learn right here at the beginning of Paul's letter, we are to imitate a God who makes sons out of orphans. What are we imitating? We're imitating a God who makes sons out of orphans. Let me show you. Verse three, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Stop right there. Paul can't even get into things yet before he's exploding with gratitude for God. He's like, I can't even talk about you Ephesians yet because my heart is bursting with what this God has done. I don't know if you you know this, but in the book of Ephesians, the third verse of chapter one to the 14th verse in the Greek is all one sentence. It's a big excited rant of Paul's. He's like, oh my gosh, you can't believe what God just did. It's that for 14th verse. It's like 202 words of Paul losing his mind over the kindness of God. He's saying, I have to celebrate. I have to celebrate this God who has literally given his people every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We walked into Toys R Us. We picked out a yo-yo. We said, can I have this? And our God came over to us. He gave us the keys to the store, and he just said, take the whole thing. Take the whole store. That's, that's what Paul is experiencing in this moment. Every spiritual blessing. But now, how did that come to be? How do we get the toy store, so to speak? Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So in order to bless, God had to choose who he would bless. And the Bible says that before the foundation of the world, before anyone was ever born or made, God looked at a group of people and he said, I choose you. And that people is us. It's us, those of us who have trusted in Christ. We're not told why he chose who he chose. We're just told that if you're a follower of Jesus, that it's because God, before he formed the earth or did anything like that, he decided in his infinite wisdom to, to lay on you all of his blessing and affection forever. What a kindness of God. If you're in him, that's true of you. He chose us. God, listen, has been thinking about you, Christian, for a long time. He's been thinking about you for a long time. But he didn't just choose us, right? God was up to something even bigger than selecting servants. God was doing something bigger than just choosing servants to bless. He was choosing children to father. Look at verse 5. In love, verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Listen, the story of Christianity, y'all, it is not just a salvation story. Have you thought about it? It's not just you getting saved. It's an adoption story. It is a story about a king who reached down into space and time and rescued a bunch of orphan peasants and made them his kids. That's what this thing is about. That's what he's done for you, which means that if you're a Christian this morning, you're not just a follower of a religion. You, just, you haven't just subscribed to a new worldview. Paul's telling us you're a son or daughter of God. Our identity is bound up in God being our father. And this is what makes Christianity utterly unique among all the worldviews and all the world religions out there because it frames the relationship we have before our creator totally different 
It's not just that we relate to him as a master-slave relationship, although the Bible talks about it in those terms. It's, it's not just that we have a leader-follower thing going, although disciple means follower, we ought to follow him. But the primary way that God wants you to relate to him is as a father and child relationship. That's the dynamic here. In fact, J.I. Packer once wrote that the definition of a Christian is one who has God as their father. That's how utterly unique this is in the world. Utterly personal, utterly relational, utterly intimate. And this relationship comes with a unique set of privileges and benefits. I mean, think about this. The most powerful person in the world is now related to you. My mother-in-law, Kelly's mom, last week signed the paperwork to finalize her purchase of a toy store. Let me say that another way. My kid's grandparent owns and runs a toy store for a living. They have hit the stinking jackpot, y'all. It's a Christmas miracle. It's going to go really well for them. And listen, it goes even better for us. That's what we are as Christians. We are beneficiaries of a God like that. God owns the universe. And there's probably going to be some perks that come alongside that, right? For one, he gives us security. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. We don't have to fear unemployment anymore because we're not just relating to him as worker bees. We're relating to him as kids. You see that? This truth about God, that I'm secure because I'm adopted, it changed everything for me in my 20s. I was a mess in my 20s, constantly fearful that I was about to be unemployed, right? And so I was hustling all the time and doing everything I could and preaching to everybody I saw, but not because I had love for them or love for God. It was mostly because I wanted to secure for myself a good position with the big guy. So I just tried to do as much as I could to be okay with them until I sat with the word of God and I began to realize that the way he wants me to think about him is not as a worker bee, but as a kid, as a child. And it changed everything for me. I started to enjoy him for the first time. I could rest easy. I started to act for him, not because I had to, but because I wanted to. And the thing that changed for me was the realization that he might fire an employee, but our God doesn't unadopt a son. He doesn't. gives us security. It gives us an inheritance. Notice that Paul said this, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. Now listen, I know we're in 2019, so that that tricks our ears a little bit. This is not Paul being sexist. This is not like, man, if he wrote it these days, he would have included daughters, but he just messed up back then. He didn't know. It's not that. He's actually making a profound point about our adoption. In ancient times, the only person who could inherit the father's goods and lands was the firstborn son. 
So you could have a bunch of daughters, but they're not going to be beneficiaries in the way that firstborn son was. So for Paul to say that God has adopted us as sons is saying something really profound. He's saying God isn't just adopting you as like one of his kids. He's adopting you as the beneficiary of his estate. You get it all when you get God. When you become his kid, you are seen by him as a firstborn son. You inherit everything. Romans 8 again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, you get the family's inheritance, y'all. All that belongs to the Father is now yours. Two weeks ago, I was in North Dallas with Kelly, and we were finishing our paperwork for what we've been putting off a very, very long time, which was our last will and testament. So I was doing that, and we completed that. And you know whose names were in the will as the beneficiaries of our estate? My kids, including my son, Ben, who we adopted. Do you know what this means? This means that this kid who once didn't have a future, now when I die, he's going to inherit literally dozens of dollars. He's going to be able to eat at Chipotle for weeks. It's going to be amazing. And we're given so much more in God. And this means something for us. It means something. This means, if this is true, that we're inheritors of everything, it means that we can endure any loss, right? If you've lost something in your life, it's been hard. The promise of an inheritance with a father changes all of that. What, you break in and steal my stuff? Who cares? I'm inheriting earth, right? I didn't get the job I wanted. I didn't, I didn't get that upward mobility I was looking for. I'm going to be COO of Mars. It doesn't matter. Well, you want to hurt me? You want to take my life? I have been promised eternal life by my God. I have a guarantee of life forever because of my father. Our adoption changes everything. It gives us a confidence. It gives us a hope of a future. It gives us a forever family. Are you seeing the beauty here yet? Do you see it? It's breathtaking, right? God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us before the foundation of the world and he has predestined us to adoption as sons. And now at this point, I'm hoping that a question is starting to brew inside of us as we're thinking about all the things that we get as children of God. The question should be coming up in us. Yeah, but <laughs> why us? Right? Like this is so like so too good to be true. Like why me? Why why did he do this for me? Are we like the, just like the diamond in the rough that God found, right? Like he was kind of looking for people to adopt and he, he bent down and kind of dusted it off and pulled up a gem and he's like, I found it. This is beautiful. I want it, right? Are we like such a cut above everybody else that somehow we get to be the adopted children of God? Is that what's going on here? Like God's looking down the corridor of time. You know, he's going... Down there in 2019, that girl is like killing the game. I'm thinking about adopting her. Jesus, what do you think? HS? I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm in. Is that how it went down? Is that how Paul talks about it? I'll tell you how Paul talks about it. 
Paul wants us to understand ourselves in these terms. Go one chapter over to Ephesians 2, and he says this. You want to know what you were like? You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Who did God bless? Who, who, who did he choose? Who did he adopt? The text tells us, hellish rebels. That's who he chose. That's who he adopted. Sons of disobedience, living in the passions of our flesh. We are appetite chasers. Our God was our belly, scripture said. We did what we wanted and we didn't care about God. We belittled him every chance we got, so much so that he calls us by nature children of wrath, that our very identity were those whom the wrath of God rests on. We sat under the judgment of God because of our rebel hearts, and it was in that condition that God chose to adopt us. Stonegate, do you, do you see how this sweetens the news of adoption to know this? Like it's right for you to see yourself like that because that's how the Bible sweetens the news of adoption for us. It creates gratitude in us. Listen, and this is hard to hear, but listen. You were not lovely and therefore God loved you. God loved you and therefore made you lovely. That's how that went down. It's Jean Valjean, right? In Les Mis. I, I don't know if you're a big musical person. I am. I, I love it. Jean Valjean was imprisoned for theft. He, he was freed from prison and he went and a priest took him in. You remember what happens as the priest is sleeping one night? Jean goes uh, through his house, steals all his silver, puts it in a sack and takes off running. The cops catch him. They bring him back to the priest's house. They show him to the priest. They say, what do you want to do? You want to press charges? And the priest says, no, no, no. Friend, he talks to Jean, you left too soon. I, you didn't get all the silver you could. Here, take the candlesticks too. This is for you. And you remember how, how wrecked Jean was? That he was a criminal and now he was confronted not with prosecution but with mercy. And for the whole rest of the story, you see a changed man. He's living in a way that, that blesses people and serves others. He is a grace giver because he's been a grace recipient. That's what God does for his enemies too. Instead of prosecuting them, he blesses them. And until you see yourself as totally undeserving of God's grace, you will never be able to imitate it. You have to see this first. And so what does this truth mean for us? As imitators of God, what does this mean for us? I'll tell you what it means. It means that we now move toward people in need no matter what the need. That's what it means to imitate God like this. We are not permitted anymore to discriminate between folks who deserve our care and folks who don't, don't deserve our care because God didn't discriminate with us. He looked at the worst of us and he says, I want you. 
So what right do we have now to discriminate between the person who's hard to love and the person who's easy to love? We don't have that luxury anymore. And you know what? I'm, I'm grateful to say we already see this habit being produced in Christians. According to ethicsdaily.com, Christians have the highest rate of adoption of any demographic in the U.S. Did you know that? That, that Christians who adopt, it's more than twice the number of all adults who adopt in the U.S. So we see that pattern going and you go, well, why is that? And the answer is, we're just doing what our dad does. We're doing what we've seen him do. Our dad moves towards orphans and makes them sons. And that's what we do. What are we to imitate? A God who does that. But now the question comes, well, how does he do that? How does the Bible tell us to imitate? Not what is it. We know the what, but what's the how now? And Paul gives us the answer. How do we imitate God? With a sacrificial, selfless love. Look at the end of verse four, going into verse five. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That phrase, in love, many of us are familiar with it, en agape, it's a word that the verb and noun are used a combined total of 259 times in your New Testament. It's a word used to describe a type of love that that doesn't require anything from the beloved. It only wants to give something to the beloved. That's what that idea of agape is meant to capture. God is looking at us in our adoption and saying, I'm acting this way towards you because because I want your good, period. That's what I want. And so I move towards you in agape love. As he predestines us for adoption, he does it in love. And as a, just a parenthesis right here, we get so bent out of shape when we start talking about this predestined thing, don't we? Like everybody wants to get in fisticuffs about it and, and fight and say it's so unfair or it's so unloving and I just, I, whenever I hear that, I always want to stop and say, have you read the text? Like, have you read how the Bible wants you to think about it? Because the Bible's saying you need to think the exact opposite than how you're thinking about predestination. That it's actually the most loving thing that God could do to, more, to move towards you with a choosing, selecting, adopting love. It is an act of love. You should only think about it in terms of it being loving. It is not something to go to war over. That truth is something to treasure. It's a gift for us. So in love, he predestined us. And look at the end of that verse. According to the purpose of of his will. That word purpose right there is this word eudokia, which I don't love the way the ESV translates it here because it's rather meaning to convey this idea of kind intention or good pleasure. So some translations will, will read according to the kind intention of his will or according to the good pleasure of his will. And it's meant to convey this idea that God acted independently of outside influence as he acted kindly towards you. That he didn't have somebody chirping in his ear persuading him or he, he wasn't uh, moved by somebody's good behavior when he acted, that he operated independent of those things and he acted according to the kind intention of his will. He did what he wants to do. Psalm 115.3, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever pleases him. 
And what pleases him is adopting you. Isn't that amazing? But this adoption of us wasn't just selfless and it wasn't just loving and it wasn't just independent of outside counsel. The text tells us our adoption was done sacrificially. It was sacrificed. Again, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, what? Through Jesus Christ. That word through is the word dia, and it's talking about agency. What is the means by which this thing came about? How did our adoption come to be? And so it says it came to be through the agents, the agent of who? Of Jesus Christ. And in what way did he make our adoption possible? Verse 7 tells us, look down with me. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Every one of us knows that orphan care and adoption is is a costly endeavor. We all know that, right? Me and Kelly started walking down the the path to adopting Ben, we realized that we were stepping into about a $30,000 moment for an international adoption. And, And it's not just financial burden, it's that, but it's all sorts of other burdens and costs. It's time and energy, right? And and paperwork and risk and complication and opening your family up to new drama and trauma and hardship and on and on. But all of that is just a drop in the bucket compared to what it cost your father to adopt you. Do you see that? Because the price to be paid for us to be made children was the death of the Son of God. None of what we've been given, church, happens without the death of Jesus. His blood is the currency of our adoption. And we sing it, and we hear it preached, and we read it in the Word, and it can so easily become this theological point that we're saved and adopted by the death of Christ. But you need to realize It's real. He died for you. He hung on a cross to procure your adoption. And he didn't just do it because, well, in heaven there's adoption fees too, I guess. It's not like that. He gave his life because you owed a debt. Don't forget this. We weren't just orphans, right? We were criminal orphans. There was a ransom on our head. We were high-handed orphans who didn't want to be adopted and who spurned our creator. And Jesus had to pay a debt for us to get into the family of God. And because of the riches of his grace, the text said, he does this. You know what this means? This means that our adoption forces us not only to to forfeit... um, Uh, forces us to forfeit not only the scope of who we care for, like who who it is that we're going to care for, but it forces us to forfeit the limitations we put on how far we're willing to go in our care for them. 
So we can't, we, just, we can't be picky about who we care for, and now the text shows us we can't be picky of how far we're willing to go to care. Christians don't have the right to be stingy with our care. If you feel that in yourself, it's unbiblical. You should repent. We lean all the way in because our God leaned all the way in. If you want to be an imitator of God, lean all the way in. And some of you, listen, some of you I know have been on the fence for a long time, weighing the the pros and cons of stepping into, uh, maybe it's foster care, and just all the the drama that goes with that. Or maybe you've been considering adoption, domestic or international, and and you're, you're trepidatious because you know it's hard. It's scary. There's a cost involved. And you're right, there is a cost. But I'm just, all I'm asking you, I'm not saying you have to. I'm just saying this. The proper posture of a Christian is that in our evaluation, we are looking to our dad as our model. And when we do that, it impacts our willingness, doesn't it? When we see that he laid everything on the line to care for us, it opens us up to things we wouldn't have been open to before. We imitate a God who makes sons out of orphans. And we do it with a sacrificial, selfless love. But lastly, why? Like, for what? Like, why does it matter that we do this or not do this? Paul gives us an answer to that too. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why do we move toward the vulnerable with love? Why, Why do we risk our comfort by pursuing adoption and and foster care for the same reason our dad does it, to show off his grace to a graceless world. That's why we do it. I remember when we brought Ben home a couple years ago and we were starting to hang out with our neighbors again and we were having dinner with them and they were just asking us about our adoption. And it was so interesting to watch their faces. They just didn't have a category for why we would step into this. We have two healthy kids at home. Why would we bring another kid in? And you could tell they're trying to be nice about it, but they're just going like, why are you doing this? And we're describing to them the why. And our why is we have a God who did the same thing for us. How could we not step in? There's so much need, and our God has given us the example to lean into, and so we're going to lean into it. And it was just fascinating to just watch their expressions and to see them consider this. And as I'm watching them considering it, I'm realizing I am having the privilege of getting to convey the grace of God to a graceless world. They, they, don't, they don't see the value in it. Have your own kids. They don't see the merit in leaning into this. But it communicates something about our God. Our kindness to the vulnerable is like us shouting through a megaphone at our world. Our God is gracious. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. And that's what he's inviting us into as we imitate him as beloved children. So where do we go from here? Let's, let's get some action steps here. What, what are some ways that we can show off his grace to a graceless world? I just want to suggest a few ways that you and I can begin imitating God this morning. 
So here's a handful of things to consider. Maybe for you, you've been sort of like blindsided by this. You know, like I haven't even thought about foster care, orphan care, respite care, adoption, international. I haven't thought about that. And maybe for you, you're in the information collecting stage. Well, we... We want to serve you in that. We want to give you information. Uh, at your seat, there's an orphan care card. I don't have it up here with me, but there's an orphan care card that, uh, that you can fill out. It goes to our orphan care ministry, and it begins that communication with them. You want information? You want, you want to see where there's need? You have questions to have answered? F- fill that out, and when the basket comes around, drop it in. It doesn't obligate you to anything. It just gets the conversation going. That same group of people has a booth outside. Our orphan care team has a booth. So after service, take time in the lobby. Don't just jet to your car. Look around the booths. Go to that table. Ask some questions. See what options they have for you. See what information that they could give you. Uh, We have an adoption Q&A coming up. March 17th, right after service. You don't have to sign up for it. Uh, or anything like that. It's free of charge. After service in here, there's going to be an adoption Q&A where you can just come with all your questions. You, you want to get some real-time feedback? Just show up. Just ask some questions. Our team is willing to feed, uh, uh, give you any answers that you need and, and help get you down the road with that. Uh, we also have other booths in the lobby if you're wanting to get more information. Maybe, maybe uh, you're wanting to know more about international adoption or domestic adoption. We have booths all over the place in the lobby. You saw it when you came in. My adoption agency, America World, that, that we adopted Ben with and who we're actually adopting a second child uh, with right now through, is, uh, is right over here. You can check them out. Uh, here, here's one. Becoming respite uh, certified as a babysitter. I don't know if you know what that means, but by state law, babysitters have to be licensed in order to care for foster children. So maybe you see a, a foster family in our church and you go, oh, I would love to serve you in a way. Like, let me watch your kids one evening. You can't do it unless you're respite certified. Our church is saying we're willing to help you get down the road with that. So you can, uh, you can actually go through our orphan care team to become respite certified. So be sure to, to, to ask about that at the table out there. We have a parent night, uh, March 29th here at the church that we need volunteers for. If, if uh, you're a foster family, uh, and, and you want a night out, our church is saying, we, we'll take your kiddos, you go have a great time, and what we need on the back end of that is we need volunteers. So if you're looking for a way to get involved, that would be a great way to get involved. You could come and, and you can volunteer your time here March 29th in the evening, uh, watch some kiddos have a great time playing with them and, and get to know them. I think that would be a great way for you to serve. Here's another way. It seems obvious, but give. Because you know what adoptions cost? About a zillion dollars. And you guys have some money. So if you have money and you're looking for opportunities to give and you know maybe this isn't your stage of life where you can step into adoption or foster care, you can give money toward the cause of adoption in this church. We have a whole fund set aside that people like yourself and like me give to that that go to bless and help people bring home kids who desperately need a home. So, and you can actually, on your checks or whatever, you remember what a check is, right? It's that little, uh, on your checks, you can write in the memo, that, that you want it to go specifically to the, to the orphan care ministry. You can do that. That's an option for you. Maybe God's calling you to make that biggest step of actually adopting or stepping into foster care uh, this morning. We have so many options for you. Again, the booths are there for you to check out. We are saying as a church, you want to do that? We're saying yes. We can help you. 
We will help you. And, and can we just praise God for a church that's saying, like, we want to enable you in every way we can to get down the road? That's, this is uncommon, y'all. This doesn't happen in every church family. But here we are saying, let's help you. So if that's you, talk to our team. We will start working with you and show you exactly what you need to do. The point is this, though. We want to picture a, a gracious adopting God to a graceless world. And so we want to be people who lean into that. Let's be imitators of God as beloved children. And and, and in light of that, I want to show you one video as as we're closing here. Uh, It's a video from one of the families in our church uh, who has gotten down the road in adoption themselves. I think it's good to hear testimonies of people among us who are doing this because I think it inspires us to lean into the hard. That is a picture of imitating God as beloved children. Let's pray. Father, We are indebted to you. We were criminal orphans. And you chose to save us before the foundation of the world. I just want that to hit us with the gravity that it calls for. Lord, we want to be like you. You call us to be like you. We want to picture you to a lost and dying world. God, thank you for giving us a picture that just takes our breath away. Lord, would you fill us with your spirit to be able to do these things? Would you convict us in in areas our hearts are hard and where where we're resistant to leaning in to difficult things because we want the world around us to be blessed and for your grace to be made glorious. So God, would you please do those things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. A podcast is never meant to replace gathering with your church to hear the preaching of the Bible. So we want to encourage you to be part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m and would love for you to join us as we enjoy Jesus together.